Why don't you stand up on your feet and let's say what we say. Repeat after me. You put your left leg in. You put your left leg out. No. Let's say it. The word of God is truth. If I live the word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Why don't we pray before you sit down? Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. We just exalt your name in this house tonight. And we just thank you that we can always depend on your word to be incorruptible seed that gets sown deep into our hearts if we let it. And we can count on that word to multiply and accomplish great things because you're the one who perfects your word. And you're the one who watches over your word to perform it. So as the word goes forth tonight, I thank you for helping me deliver it. And I thank you that the word of God will be sown into the hearts of every single person here. And we can undoubtedly leave this place and say, I've been changed by the word of God tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good to see all of you. I'm excited about the word tonight because it's uh, been something that's been in my heart for a couple of months and I haven't really figured out how to deliver it, you know, for a couple of months. It's taken me up until today, about five, to, uh, to really figure out how to do it. But it's been in my heart for a long time and I'll share little pieces of it with you as we go. But it's about environments tonight. And the, the message is called The Environment for a Miracle. And um, God has been speaking in my heart about environments for a long time and how important environments are to him and how many times, if you know, if you've been serving God for any amount of time, you know that God does everything backwards from the way that we think he's going to do it. I mean, we grow up with a certain way and we learn the wisdom of the world and then we just learn the more that you go that God just continually does things backwards, it seems like. You know, if you want to increase, you have to give. And, 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 if, and if you want to be great, you have to serve. And, and all of those things are, are backwards. And and, I, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about my environment. And the more you grow with the Lord, the more you get a sense of what, you know, he's going to allow you to do for him in the kingdom of God and the difference that you hope your life will make on the earth. But many times we still have that kind of worldly, you know, wisdom that says, okay, well, if God says I'm going to do this, then you start looking around and you start taking inventory and you go, okay, well, if God said I'm going to do this, then I, I have to have this and I, I should have this by now and I should be. And then you look around and none of those things are there and you're left kind of going, I must have heard wrong. And, and, and God has been showing me over time that the environments that we're placed in um, are not a mistake, that, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God knows everything about our life. And, and, and the greatest thing about his grace is that we can even mess up, and he still has the ability to get us back on track. And I know all of you know that because we've all been there together. We've all made mistakes, and he's brought us back in. And God is not limited by the things we're limited by in this world. He's not limited by time and space, and he's not limited by money. And, and if the earth is his and the fullness therein, then he can move around. How many of you know if you're wealthy and you have different bank accounts and you, and you hear people saying, yeah, I had to I had to move some money around and do some things, you know, in order to meet this need. And that's, that's like Father God. He moves stuff around and he gets it. But he's really more concerned about us and our relationship with him than even the situations that concern us, which is why I'm convinced that one of the worst things that could happen to my relationship with God would be for everything to go okay. I mean, it's not saying that I want to live in a poverty mentality. It's not saying that I think that I just have to, you know, live a life of, of continual suffering. But I know me, and maybe you would, you kind of, you know, you can bear witness to this, that, that it, when things go well, I tend to be complacent. And when things get tough, I tend to press in. And, if I've, and since being saved, since well, I've been saved just since 90 or 89, um, but since that time, um, I've learned that, the more exciting times with God are when in the midst of hard times, it seems like. And, and as much as we want to get out of those, many times that's where the biggest growth and the stories that we tell tend to be from. How many of you know the greatest things that you enjoy telling your friends? And Man, can you believe what God did? They all were born out of difficulties. And, it's very, and, so, and so tonight, I, I just pray that as we talk about environments, that God will uh, 
just re-remind you again how good he is, how faithful he is, how able he is to accomplish everything that he has called you to accomplish through you, and that you'll begin to, as you trust in him, begin to see that your environment is not a mistake that you're in, that he knows everything about the things around you, and he is able to not just get you out of your situations, but get you through your situations. And so I'm counting on him to do that in your hearts tonight. Pastor Pam shared a really encouraging message. If, you, if you've been around for a while, you've heard it. If not, you've got to get online and listen to it. It's called Anointed for Increase. We shared about that for a while, and that was a really important message to me. And and one of the things that she said, um, one of the big you know, pleasures of being on staff is you get to hear from our pastors more behind the scenes and in meetings and things. And she had shared in a staff meeting a- after the message was actually done that she had really gotten the revelation that, that really the anointing for increase is really only available to the person that has the revelation that everything that they have belongs to God. You start with that premise that everything that you have belongs to him, that he knows everything about you because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so what, what that does is that causes you to trust him without a shadow of a doubt. And so then when he shows you to do things or when he walks you through situations that are difficult, you don't spin your tires wondering what is this all about. You may not know what it's about, but you just know to follow him because he's revealed himself to be faithful. And, and so tonight I pray that you'll, you'll re, you know, again, remember how faithful and good God is and that no matter what you're facing right now, he is able to lead you through it if you don't lose heart. And um, tonight, the, the, the environment for a miracle, I want to tell you a quick, and I'll try to be really brief with it. This is quite the story. It's about a guy named Tom Monahan. And I, I, do you like success stories? I just really, I like reading these because... Um, the people that we want to know the most about, if you really dig in and find out about their stories, you find out that they didn't get there without hard times. They didn't get there by just having things handed to them. And this is a guy named uh, Tom Monahan, and then the title is called From Rolling Dough to Rolling in Dough. And, this t- and I'm just, I can't read, I don't have time to read this whole story, but it talks about a guy named Tom Monahan who had grown up in orphanages. He had gone through detention, you know, juvenile detention center. He had no business experience but a dream to open a pizza shop. And uh, he, was, he was attending Eastern Michigan University, and he had, in 1960, borrowed 900 bucks with his brother and went into a, a pizza business. And they did okay for college kids. They did okay. But as soon as school let out, there was no business. Their sales dropped 75%, and things were tough. And they would let go of all the employees, and they would work, you know, 18-hour days, and they would, and, and they, and they would uh, just really work. And, and this was up in Michigan. And, and uh, when school, yeah, I said school ended, business, sales dropped, and so... Tough times sometimes has a, has a, puts a strain on relationships. And, and so the relationship with his brother um, was strained, and he ended up um, buying his brother's part of the business for a 1965 Volkswagen Beetle, and, uh, which, was their de- which was their delivery car, or a uh, 59 Volkswagen Beetle. Is a, and, and so, you know, it was just one little setback, but he kept moving forward, and, and then he realized he wanted to go to school, but it was, he was working so many hours that he couldn't. So he tried to hire this guy who had had a little bit of experience in this field, and so he hired this guy, and this guy from the very beginning was kind of shady and, and, and didn't do things right, never gave him even the, the buy-in money, and, um, and so... So he's working 100 hours a week. This guy's off buying clothes, and, and things are just getting tough. A couple years later, his partner ends up in the hospital, gets sick, asks to dissolve the relationship. So now here's Tom on his own again, dropped out of school again, trying to, trying to make this business happen. He, um, the, guy can't, the guy had gotten in a bunch of debt, which had projected back on on Tom because the guy in the very beginning had declared bankruptcy already, and so his name wasn't on any of the legal work. And so he just became a liability without any of the benefit. And so now Tom uh, was able somehow to pay 
um, $20,000 for his share of the business, which was at that point what f- half of his business was. And so then uh, his partner declares bankruptcy, and, but he still believes his partner is going to, you know, make do, do on, his, on his debt. And so he continues to keep going. He's got a dream to be the best pizza parlor, you know, in this town of Michigan and, and eventually, you know, maybe spread a franchise. And so he, he grows and, and he pays, he's paying off debt like crazy. He resists the urge to declare bankruptcy. He's working 18-hour days constantly. And his dream was to envision Domino's Pizza to, to spread throughout college towns throughout Michigan. So thing after thing after, I mean, I could just read you point after point after point. Ends up $50,000 in debt at one point, $150,000 in debt at another point. Well, in 1967, he was able to push through, and he was able to open up the first Domino's franchise. So things, you know, the lawyer had said, hey, you got to be careful not to expand too quickly. But he had been such, through such hard times. He was just going for it with all he had. And, and so, sure enough, they couldn't sustain it. And so things got worse again. And, and now he's been working a decade of 16 to 18-hour days, seven days a week. But things are beginning to finally pick up. And so within 18 months, um, you know, they're, they're just working and working and working, but they've spread themselves too thin. And now they're in debt and, and they're bouncing checks left and right. And he turns out he now owes $101.5 million. I mean, it's just like gets from bad to worse, doesn't it? And he had over, you know, overexpanded and, and really didn't have a lot of business experience. He just had a passion to do what he was doing. On 1970, he lost control of his company to, to creditors and to people who were willing to come in. And, and so, but they did let him, they let him uh, continue on as the, as the president. He said, because who else were they going to find to work, you know, 100 hours a week for $200? So he keeps on working. And, and so, and then uh, he just, just barely didn't have to claim a bankruptcy, slept in his car as he would travel and try to make sales, slept in his car to cut down on expenses. After 10 months, all of the people who had come with him to try to save this backed out, said Domino's has no future whatsoever. His franchisees at this point um, were, were filed a class action lawsuit against him. And, I mean, it was just things were bad. And so then over the next nine years, Tom slowly built back his business, paying off every last creditor. For five years, he fought off a bitter trademark infringement by the Domino Sugar people. Didn't ever know about that, but interesting. And uh, so he continues to go on, go on, go on. The claim made Domino's, um, he won the claim, and the claim won Domino's, the largest home delivery pizza business in the world. Tom ends up becoming one of the wealthiest entrepreneurs in the country with 97% in the company's stock. And this is what he says. I feel all these setbacks were tools for me to learn from. I used them as stepping stones, and I didn't see them as failures. A failure is when you stop trying, and I never did that. And this is, this is just one of many stories that you could find and read about where the environment was not conducive to the dream. But when I read the Bible and when I learn about the heroes of the faith, they all tend to have that same thing in common, that God put a dream or spoke to them and then placed them almost looking like a sick joke at times, would place them in environments where it just didn't seem like that dream. And you may be in an environment that just seems opposed to the vision that God's put in your life. But I want to encourage you as we talk about some of these heroes tonight, that you too can be one of these heroes of the faith that doesn't stop, that perseveres, and allows God to pull them through. See, I, I was, I, over the past year, I've been giving, getting the revelation from, from the Lord in my life that, that 
I shouldn't pray to just get out of situations I'm in, but to get through situations. Because when you're willing to go through situations with the Lord, you submit yourself to the things that he wants to do. He wants to teach you things. He wants to force you to be creative and come up with solutions that you could have never done or would have had no reason to do had you not been in a tight place. He wants to reveal himself as faithful. How many of you know some of the hard times you've been through have caused you to know that your Abba Father is good? And, and so why would we want to shortchange ourselves from those experiences by just trying to evade problems? And that's the kind of God we serve, the kind of God that doesn't, just, that doesn't just escape us from situations, but brings us through and reveals himself mighty in the process. I think about Abraham. And I think about Abraham, just, you know, God puts a dream in his heart, but then pulls him away from everything that he knows, pulls him away from his family, says, no, no, I got to get you away from the familiar. I got to get you away from the conventional because I'm going to do something unconventional. How many of you know if he would have stuck around, how many think his family members might have had a few things to say about the father of many nations, you know, and he didn't have a child. I think about Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt. Now, Egypt wasn't a fun place, but how many of you know sometimes something can be not fun, but it can be at least predictable. And sometimes there's a little bit of comfort in something being predictable. At least you know at the end of the day what's going to happen. And he says, Moses, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you out of this place. Now you're going to have to be in the wilderness, and I'm, I'm taking you somewhere, but you're going to have to trust me. And how many of you know in the wilderness there were a few conflicts, there were a few challenges, but God came through. And in the process, those people, even through all their mistakes, those people knew at the end of the day that God was for them. He knew that nobody could be against them when God was for them. And they knew that if they would just submit to the plan and purpose that he had for them, that he would take them through victoriously. I think about Isaac. And I think about Isaac when, um, when God had called him out. And he went to a place called Gerar, and, and, and that was in the middle of famine. But he sowed in that land and reaped a hundredfold. And he saw God be faithful amidst circumstances. See, it wouldn't make sense for, for Isaac to be the offspring of Abraham and have his blessing. It wouldn't make sense to go plant yourself into the middle of famine somewhere. You would try to escape that with your natural mind. You would try to get as far from that as possible. But instead, he goes where God sells him. He sows, and he, and he reaps a hundredfold. D- d- beats the odds. And I think about Joseph betrayed by his brothers, you know? How many of you know Joseph had a dream? And then what happens? God, do you know what you're doing? Puts him in this family of cantankerous, jealous people. You know, he gets sold to slavery. I mean, you know the story. He gets sold to slavery, put in, you know, put in jail, forgotten about. I mean, it would just seem every turn like God had no idea what he was doing. And yet Joseph fulfills the dream. And, and, and not only to fulfills the dream, not just by being transplanted out of the hardship and put over here on a nice mountaintop, but by going through every situation and step by step, earning the favor of people, step by step, seeing the faithfulness of God, step by step, learning the things that it would take to, ev- to eventually be second in command and have the position and the knowledge and the wherewithal to be able to deliver his family in the midst of famine all because he was willing to not see his environment for what it looked like in the natural, but to see it as the context for the miracle. That's why we're talking about environments for miracles tonight. And what I want to tell you is this, and we're going to talk, just going to keep reaffirming this as we go, but your environment that you're in right now is full of circumstances that God will help you leverage to create an environment for breakthrough. 
He'll, I mean, literally, he won't just do it in spite of your problems. He's going to do it through your problems. He's going to use your problem. You know, my boys are into Legos, and Legos are a real pain because they're all over the house. They're in the vacuum. They're in the vents. They're in my car. They're in the cupboards. I mean, they're everywhere, and they're always looking for them and always sending me out to the car in the middle of the winter to find one little piece that's that big because, you know, the 40 million other pieces aren't good enough. We need that one little piece. But how many of you know they are building blocks? It's a mess on my floor, but over time, you know, it can become something really neat that they're proud of. And so God does that in our lives. He takes the mess and he builds it up. And I, uh, and I think about Jehoshaphat, and I love that story. And Pastor Bill sh- has shared about Jehoshaphat over years, and he has a, just a great, you know, uh, ability to share that story. And, and I just am amazed how Jehoshaphat, someone who is not only, you know, wasn't necessarily someone who just made lots of mistakes, he was just in a bad place. He was surrounded by people. He was outnumbered. He didn't know what to do, but he sought God and God gave him an answer. And he was willing to go through the situation with God. And had he been transplanted out of the situation, he would have never seen how good and mighty God was. But because he submitted to God, he saw a miracle. His environment seemed a mess in a moment but became an environment for the, for the miraculous. And I believe in our lives tonight that God is able to give us creative answers and ideas to leverage our circumstances to create environments where he can move and break forth in the miraculous. I was thinking about a definition of miracle, and I was, and I was like, what, how do you really define a miracle if you had to like explain it to someone who had never heard of the concept of a miracle? How would you describe it? And I was trying to be really theological, you know, and have this really like book-ready term. And then this was all I heard. Wow, I did not see that coming. That was my definition. <laughs> because that's usually what I say when a miracle happens. Holy cow, I did not see that coming. How many of you know some of the heroes of the faith would have said that in the Bible? Holy cow. I mean, they probably wouldn't have said holy cow because that was, you know, that was not a good thing. But, but they would have said, hey, <laughs> they would have said, wow, I did not see that coming. Why is that? Because they were in a context that didn't seem conducive to a miracle. But let me hear me clearly tonight. Your environment is conducive for a miracle tonight. There is nothing you're facing that God can't turn around. And you know what? He, he, I just see him up there grinning going, oh, this is going to be so awesome. Wait until they see. I mean, it seems so impossible, you know. Have you ever done that to your kids? Have you ever kind of held something back a little bit, you know, just to get them really, like, you know, excited and anxious? And then you just gave it to them, and it was like, and with this year, we put all their gifts under the tree, like, three days ago. I mean, it's awesome. They're just like, ah. (laughs) They're talking about it all the time. They're showing their friends. But we're building something up because it's going to be so fun when they they open it. And, um, And so if your situation seems unlikely or impossible, man, I'm telling you, you are probably in an environment that's ready for a breakthrough. I, 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 Christmas season, I, I just became really interested in the, you know, the context that Jesus was born in. And it's really, it's really neat when you think about it because you know, we talked about Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Joseph and, and Jehoshaphat. We talked about those as guys who were in situations that just seemed against the odds. But you want to really hear a story about against the odds? Try Jesus. I mean, what was God thinking putting the reigning Messiah into the context that he put him in? I mean, he put him in a context with, in a, with a government who was in some ways tolerant of the Jews, but only as long as they can control them. And when I read about the context of, of, of you know, Palestine and, and modern-day Israel now in those times, you, and you think about the things that Jesus was prophesied to do, it just didn't really make sense. 
You know, why, why would Jesus, who's supposed to be the king of kings, be born into a government that was just as tight as ever trying to control the people? If everyone was supposed to know about Jesus, why would he be born into a context of huge religious diversity and pagan religions flourishing and, and protected by the government, really? You know, encouraged, diversity was wonderful as long as we can keep our hand on you, you know? It just didn't make sense. Um, and, and so I, I read about him. Talk about Herod. I mean, if you want to put the king of kings on the earth, why would you do it under the rulership of a just evil, tyrannical ruler? I mean, this guy was so, I mean, obviously we know he was killing ba- Jewish babies to, to prevent the Messiah, try to prevent the Messiah from coming and taking over, right? And so that's the context. Jesus is born in the context where they're trying to kill babies. That doesn't make sense, right? And under the ruler of a guy who absolutely wants control over everything. This guy was so nasty. They even said, historians say that when he when he, he had given a command that whenever he died, he would, put, uh, he would put, basically put a bounty out on some of the most um, influential people of the day to have him killed just so there would be somebody crying because they knew they wouldn't be crying about him. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's how, I mean he knew what a bad duty was. And this is, part of, this is part of the context that Jesus was born in, into. Um, you know, even, even in the Jews, there was a lot of tension between, um, you know, between the Jews and the Gentiles. Even in the Jewish culture, there was tension between basically two, and this is kind of funny, two political parties. You have the Pharisees, which were called the People's Party. Now, we always think of Pharisees as kind of a bad thing because Jesus, you know, rebukes them and such. But when you really looked at the different sects of Jews at that time, the Pharisees were probably the most devout and actually the most faithful to the law than some of the others, like the Sadducees. They were the other political party, and they were, much, they were wealthier, and they were much more not about tradition, and the foundations, you know, of the Torah, they were really more into leveraging power and control, and they realized that Rome was where it was at, and so they basically kind of rewrote history and, and tried to rewrite the rules so that they could side with Rome and have their... Does that sound like anything familiar today? I mean, you have one group that's trying to kind of, you know, and then another group that's just basically trying to go where, where the money is, you know? And uh, it was just kind of an interesting thing. And and you, you saw this this large disparity between the rich and the poor. And so people are, you know, economically struggling. They're, they're repressed in, in, in many ways for what they, what they believe, their control. And yet God chose to put Jesus on the earth for that time and was able to manipulate all those variables so that the whole world would know that he was who he says he is. I'm just amazed by that. And I'm thinking this, do you think compare, do you think that your life and I, and me too, do we really think our lives are any more out of control than some of these situations in the Bible that like we're the one situation that God can't fix? Because I know we feel that way. So, I mean, I do too. I think, oh, I don't know. This is a whole new day. I've never done all of this before. It's like, really? I mean, you know, you think about all the things. And I think about the story, you know, Jesus was born. And I wish I had a better command on the history of all this because it's so fascinating. I guess you just have to spend time and time with it. But, but just, so Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Scripture prophesies that he's going to be a Nazarene but he wasn't born in Nazareth. So he's born there because of Herod killing babies, they flee. And then Herod dies. And so plausibly you would just come back. I mean, scripture doesn't say they were going back to Bethlehem, but I would assume that was their home. They were coming back there. And then Joseph, you know, for good reason, became fearful. And, and, there, and it said that at that time, one of Herod's sons, he had three sons that were basically dividing up. When he died, there was such a mess with the will and who owned what. And, and I think they said there was like seven wills known in existence. So everyone's fighting over territory. But his son Archelaus was going to basically have that area that Bethlehem was in. So Joseph's warned in a dream. 
See, here's God working through the situations, using some of the variables that are known, some of the pressing situations, but using them to put people in the right place. And Joseph's warned in a dream, don't go back to Bethlehem. It's, no, it's not going to be any better there. And so then they go to Galilee and end up in Nazareth and where he grows up. And, and, that's, and that's what scripture prophesied that he would be. Who knew God could do all those things, using even bad situations, but manipulating for good, leveraging circumstances to create an environment for the miraculous. God still does it today. And um, there were some things that I, that I was thinking about in my life, and these are all, I'm going to give you five situations. Uh, they're five environments, really, if you think about it. These are five environments that I've just, over time, would think about um, in the past couple of years, really, and that are just kind of coming together in this message for me. The first one is worship. And I, you know, I'm involved in worship. And so one of the things that we learn in VBI and worship and when you learn leading worship in people is that, that you, you can't coerce people to worship. Now, sometimes we come in here and we're just excited and we rehearse Thursday night and we rehearse early in the morning before you guys all get here. We're doing sound check. We are fired up and, we, and we've picked worship that God's led us to pick and we are excited and we just know it's gonna be a great time. And then like nine o'clock comes and we're just playing our hearts out. And sometimes you guys look like you just got out of bed and you're just kind of, and you're just kind of like that, you know, and we're, come on guys, let's worship this morning. And everyone's just kind of, Hey, done great things for me. And you know, and anybody in the, I mean, that's not, that's not a, I mean, that's just people, you know, we're all like, how many, you know, sometimes you're not a very good self-starter, right? And well, I'm the same way sometimes. And, and so you learn as a worship leader though, listen, it's really tempting to sit here and go, come on. You know, but you can't because God looks at the heart. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff on the outward, but God wants a worshipful heart. So you learn as a worship leader, you don't coerce people to lead worship. You lead people to worship. You, what you do is you create an environment where people can worship. And so what we teach the team all the time and what we remind ourselves of is, listen, we're not, you know, we're picking these songs and we're, and we're doing this and we're running the sound this way and we're learning all these things. So, but, but not to, to drive worship, but to create an opportunity you know, in your homes, when you know someone's coming over to visit, what do you do? You know, you set the thermostat and you, and you make sure the house smells clean and you clean the bathrooms and you do the things that you do to create an environment that's pleasing to somebody else that they won't want to run away from. You pick up, you pick up the Legos, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that's kind of what we do in worship. We just do all these things to try to create an opportunity where we all can just enter in and experience the presence, not just sing a song, but experience the presence of God because that's where true change comes. So in worship, we've learned that, that we take the tools that God's given us. We use the circumstances, good and bad. Sometimes some of the toughest mornings to, to break through in worship, sometimes that will, God will give us a different direction to go and that will just be the thing that just breaks that. And all of a sudden there's just this outpouring and people you know, get delivered and all these exciting things happen and, and God will use the situations. Another one is covenant. And I think about covenant, again, not a word that we use a lot, but you know, a marriage is a covenant. Um, your, your relationship with your employer is a covenant if you, you know, have a contract or if you've agreed on certain things. Um, friendships that you have, um, business partners, those are all covenants. And the Bible says a lot about covenants because our relationship with God is a covenant. But, but we, one thing that I love, it says in Psalm 15, 4, it says that a person who swears to their own hurt and does not change, that's a person, basically the context is who can, who can be in right relationship with God, which is a covenant, right? So a covenant partner would be one who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. I think that's one of those factors in really leveraging your circumstances 
to have an environment for breakthrough is you have to swear to your own hurt and not change the things that God's called you to do. You have to persevere. Like that Tom Monahan, you can't just give up when things get tough. You have to, have to, have to keep moving forward and trust God to help you through. And so in covenant, one, you know, Abraham, I think that God picked Abraham. He was childless and then said that you're going to be the father of the many nations. In you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why did God do that? He had to pick a guy who absolutely knew that he could not do it in his own strength. Now, he could have picked a guy with 27 kids and the guy went, okay, if I'm this many sons marry and, and I have this many grandkids and it fans out and a little pyramid, you know, we'll sell Amway and, and all this stuff. You know, it would, have made, it would have made total sense, right? But he picks a guy with no kids and a barren wife, you know? Why does he do that? Because it's not about Abraham. <laughs> it's, it's about what God wants to do on the earth. It's the, about the way that God wants to leverage crazy circumstances and turn them into breakthrough. And he's going to do it in our lives. Amen? So, it, you know, the Bible says that faith inherits the promises of God. And, and it takes faith in God and a faith and a knowledge of the word of God to be able to trust God and, and to continue him. Another thing, now this doesn't seem as spiritual, but, it, but it, I think it is, voting. It was back in 08 when we were voting, and then it was again in this, you know, November when we were voting. And sometimes, you know, people will tell you that, well, what you're standing for is not really worth standing for. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I, I had a cousin, and, 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 and they were telling me how the pro-life position was just, you know, I mean, it's a nice idea. Certainly, I don't like abortion, but come on, how many years of pro-life people in office, nothing's happened, they're still, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just not, it's just something the news is using to, you know, polarize people and all these things. And I said, but, but it's, it's the right thing to stand for. I, you know, this pragmatic view that says we only do things that are going to, you know, make noticeable results. And if they're not going to make noticeable results in our imagination, then, then we're just not going to do them and we're going to focus on the other things. Well, that's living in the natural realm. But when you vote, what happens is even if you know you're outnumbered, even if your position is mocked, and even if you're ridiculed, the idea is this. No different than the other things we've been talking about, you are investing into an environment where God can move. You know, your guy might not win, but at the end of the day, you stayed in agreement with God. And that brings me to another one, prayer. One of the things that's been hard you know, as a pastor and, and visiting people in the hospital, one of the hardest things is when you pray for somebody and then they die. And, and, and they don't get healed. And, and, and the things that you prayed over them don't come to pass in the natural like you thought. And sometimes people even say, what was that? I mean, we spoke, the, we did the things, you know what I mean? We spoke the word and we confessed the word and we put the word on our bathroom mirror and we, and we did this and we did everything the doctor said and they still died. Have you ever been disappointed by that like I have? And, and so I, I've kind of come to the realization that there's something that's even more important than praying for someone to live and that's being on God's side. I mean, there, we want to see, and we want to use the word, and we want to see, and we want to honor God, and we want to be a part of the plan, but at the end of the day, there is nothing more important in our lives than pleasing God, you know, and staying in agreement with him. Because if you stay in agreement with him, he might take a couple of weird turns, you know, weird to you, but you're still going to get where he is going, but if the first time he turns left and you were sure it was going to be right, and so it's like, you know, it's like us not trusting the GPS thing and saying, oh, this thing's clearly not right. And, and next thing you know, you're out in the middle of a field and you can't figure out what's going on, how to get back. But you're going to get where he's going if you stay with him. And I've just found, and I share with people, hey, listen, I, I don't know why all that happened, but I do know this. We stayed in agreement with God. And that's something that should bring confidence in us. That's something that should bring joy in us because God's not done yet. 
He's always working, always redeeming situations. And so through prayer, I've learned that we just have to keep moving forward in faith, even if we don't see results overnight. Stay in agreement with God. And giving is the fifth one. Giving is an opportunity where you can leverage the circumstances that you're in to see breakthrough in your environment. <clears throat> giving, one of, we talked about Abraham a little bit tonight, but one of the neat stories about Abraham that he was involved in a conflict. He was involved with a battle against the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and, and, and his brother um, Lot had been, uh, had been abducted as a part of that. And, and, and so he got called on the scene to go fight, and God helped him, and, and God moved, and they conquered their enemies, and he got his stuff back. And as he was coming back, he ran into Melchizedek, who's this kind of mysterious figure that uh, he was called a high priest of God, the king of Salem, no lineage, you know, kind of a, like Jesus walking right up on the scene. And, 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 and he, he somehow saw, I mean, he believed this guy was truly the high priest of God, and he tithes to him. He paid him a tithe. I, I think it's the most, I could be wrong, but I think it's the first account of tithing in the whole Bible, and it wasn't because God said to tithe. It was tithing, tithing's origin was simply saying, I know that my life is completely in God's hands. I know that everything that I have, I only have because of his faithfulness. And I am so thankful to him for it that I'm going to put this in his hand and exchanged it for the blessing. And then the king, and, and, and then the king of Sodom comes up and says, give me the people back and you can have all this stuff. And he says, nope, you know what? I'm in a covenant with God Almighty. He's, my, he's the one who blesses me. I'm not going to take anything that you have because I want everyone to be clear that I am rich because of what God did, not just because I just walked into some deal. Because then people say, well, you're just rich because, you know, you just you got hooked up with the king of Sinai. He goes, no, I'm going to do this God's way. And how many of you know Abraham was prosperous? I mean, ridiculously prosperous. And God did it through crazy situations. God did it in the midst of his mistakes I mean, the guy lied about his wife. I mean, come on. Does it get any worse than that? But, but God turned it around. God turned it around. <laughs> but that just brings me to this. As we, as we finish up, I want to I say that this is the reality that we're dealing with in our environment. If you and I just take a minute and we think about the things that we're facing, we think about the dreams. Maybe you know what God's put in your heart. Maybe you don't, but you just know he's got good things for you. And you, all you look around is at bad things. And you're thinking, I don't know how this could ever get turned around for good. But, but the Bible addresses trials. The Bible talks about tribulation. The Bible said, didn't say that serving God means that we're not going to have it anymore. It says that serving God just means we're going to be victorious through it. Because basically the way I figure it, we have two options. You can go through trials and be a loser, or you can go through trials and be victorious. I mean, those are the two options. It's way better to be victorious. Amen? So this is what the Bible says. In James 1, 2 through 5, it'll be up on your screen for you. It says this, My brothers, count it all joy. Right, right? How many times do you say, yeah, okay. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all to liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Count it all joy. Why? I, there's, a, there's an author, a, a speaker named Erwin McManus that I really like. And I had read a book called Uprising a, a years ago. And I went through the notes uh, after, you know, after I was kind of rolling on this message over the past week. And I just saw it on the shelf. I looked in my notes. Pastor John influenced me to start writing notes in, my binding, uh, in the binding of the book when I take notes. And so I was going through it. And boom, he started to say things that were exactly about this message. And this is what he says. And he was saying this in response to some people, and there's been movements of religion over the, you know, in the past where suffering is like 
you know, adored, right? You must be really pious and holy if you're going through suffering, you know, right? And he says this, suffering is not a virtue, it's a reality. You're not to pursue suffering. I assure you that suffering will pursue you just fine. Suffering is not the source of joy ever, even for the most spiritual, yet suffering is not a joyless, a joyless setting. And this is exactly the point that James was trying to make. It's not the trials that are the source of joy, but trials are the settings for our greatest opportunities for joy. Isn't that kind of what we're talking about? I was really, I was like, whoa. They're the greatest, they're the settings, or you could say the environment, for our greatest opportunities for joy. When you belong to God, trials become not only a reminder of your need for God, but also a reminder that God will meet you in the midst of it. If God is your greatest pleasure, then trials become your greatest joy. The key to experiencing this ultimate joy becomes perseverance. And this is where we conclude tonight, perseverance. You don't want to turn to any substitute. You want to wait on God, and you can be certain that he will come through, even though it may not be the way that you think. Paul says it this way in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, and there you go. Because if you think hope has to be a substitute for being happy, it doesn't. Hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I just want to remind you again that there are some really amazing benefits to pressing in through tough situations and not just praying to get out of them, but praying to get through them. Saying, God, if I'm going to go through this, I want to go through it and learn everything that I can learn about this. I want to come out a champion. I want to come out ready for the prize, for the medal, you know? Going through hard times motivates your reliance on God. The best thing that we can walk out of here thinking is, I need God. I need the Holy Spirit. I do not need my natural thinking. I do not need to just put into five action steps the last 10 books I read. I need God. And, and, and that's the best thing that we can come out of here saying. We, um, overcoming obstacles creates uh, creative wisdom. There are countless stories of people who we know their names today, not because they were great people, but because they solved problems. Well, how many of you know if you solve problems, and if you want to be rich in this world, like uh, my pastor in Chicago, the first real pastor that I had, he said, if you want to be a millionaire, you just have to learn to solve million-dollar problems. And so we need to not be afraid of problems because problems are the seedbed for miracles. You don't need miracles if you don't have problems. And if you don't have miracles, your life is boring, you know? So let's embrace the hard times. Let's let God bring us through them and let's believe that he's going to use them as little tools and variables to absolutely launch us down the road of what he's doing. Your circumstances are just the setup for your miracle. They are the springboard. They are the test in your testimony. We all love a testimony. Isn't it fun to say our testimony? But you got you have the test. I mean, you got to go through the test first and we don't always love that. But Hebrews 12 cheers us on. And you've read this a hundred times like I have. Hebrews 12, one, in, 1 through 3 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, let us lay aside every reasonable thought, let us lay aside every way that we thought God was going to do it, right? 
and, and let's lay aside every sin that ensnares us. Let's get rid of the baggage. Let's get rid of the resentment. Let's get rid of the disappointment, right? Let's get rid of all those things that ensnare us and let us run with endurance. The NIV says perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And here's how, looking unto Jesus, the author, the guy who put the dream in your heart, and the finisher, the guy who brings it to pass, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, right? Trials, insert trials when it says joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and ended up sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, part of that environment he was born into, right? But consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. And that guy from Tom Monahan, I read the quote earlier, but let me just remind you, I feel all these setbacks were tools for me to learn from. I used them as stepping stones, and I didn't see them as failures. A failure is when you stop trying, and I never did that. Erwin McManus from that same book says, often we miss the undeniable work of God because we give up too soon. We don't just not get the victory, but we give up on, we miss out on the undeniable work of God in our lives. So how about if we all just be in agreement that we're going to continue to persevere this season? How about we just, just are willing to go another month with the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going to give this thing one more month and I'm going to continue. And then I'm going to do another month and I'm going to do another month. And, and if we don't see things change at the end of this month, that just means we haven't gotten there yet. And we just keep on going. How about we just believe that God loves us? How about we believe that he is awesome and he can do fix and do anything? And if we just believe that as we trust in him and, and, and persevere through the trials that we face, <clears throat> that not only will he bring us out of them, but he'll bring us through them. And what we'll do, end up doing is creating an environment for a miracle. And then we all have an awesome testimony to share. Amen? It's going to be a great, will you say this to me? It's going to be a great Christmas. I got plenty enough money. I got plenty enough wisdom. I'm just going to keep on following God. And he's going to show me what to do. Amen? Father, thank you for all these people here tonight. God, I just thank you that faith would rise up in this place. And um, I just thank you that tonight that I'm, I'm sure some of us are sitting here going, yeah, but there's that thing. Yeah, but oh, I bet I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to deal with that thing. God, I just pray that tonight our faith would be bigger than that. Our faith would just say, God, there is nothing too difficult for you. And not only that we would believe that you're going to get us out, but you're going to get us through. That we would actually believe that the things that we're facing might just actually have a purpose to bring us to where you're trying to get us to be. And when we get there, we'll undeniably be able to say, the Lord did this. And our faith will be lifted, our countenance will be upheld, and our confidence will be in you. And so thank you tonight that for every single situation, while our hands are, uh, while our eyes are closed, if you're in a really pressing situation right now, why don't you just raise your hand and, and we're not going to make a big deal out of your situation, but we're going to pray for you. Yeah, we got some hands. Anybody else that just say, I'm in a pressing situation right now. Yeah. Okay. So Father, I thank you for every person that, that is admitting right now that they are in situations that are bigger than they are. I just thank you that not that our focus would change. We would recalibrate. And now it's not just about how do I get delivered from the situation, but now it's how do I get through the situation and in the process glean everything that you're trying to show me that I, my confidence would increase as I see you move faithfully. God, would you just encourage us tonight? You are always enough, always, no matter what situations we face, 
You're always enough. There's nothing incomplete about you. You're not biting your nails. You're not confused. You're not worrying. You're sitting here waiting for us to step up to the plate, get rid of plan B, and persevere through plan A and see your goodness. And so I pray for every person that's raised their hand tonight. And I pray that this season you would encourage them. I pray for breakthrough. I pray that they would have just the the faith and the boldness to say, I'm gonna make every circumstance I'm going through, I'm gonna make it pay off for me because I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna let him lead me through it. I'm gonna learn what I gotta learn. I'm gonna be pressed to find creative miracles and I'm gonna go to the next level. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus, then all of this doesn't really make any sense because this all starts with acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is, that he was born into this earth like he was prophesied, that he did uh, pay the price for our sins, that he was crucified, but not only that, that he was raised from the dead, demonstrating the fact that the Holy Spirit of God was the resurrection power in him and now in us to overcome death, to overcome every hardship. If you don't know Jesus tonight, would you raise your hand? We want to pray with you, and we want to give you the opportunity to to allow him in your life to become a new creation. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.